I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about Batman, a Batman podcast. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! I am a podcast. Oh! Hey! with fans and people, people who Hey guys, welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you are listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Arkham Singles, because the Scarecrow still hasn't landed a committed relationship. And come on, guys, he he really needs it this month. It's Halloween. So if you're new to the show, please rate and subscribe on iTunes. Also, follow the show on Twitter over at BTAS Podcast and myself at HeyJustin. Today, we're going to be talking lockup with my good buddy and Arrow's Mr. Terrific, Echo Kellum. After that, Robert and Skier returns to the podcast to talk about writing lockup. But first, let's talk about the episode. Today's episode, Lockup. After Lyle Bolton is fired from his job as the new chief of security at Arkham Asylum for sadistic treatment of the inmates, he takes revenge by kidnapping the Gotham officials he believes turned Gotham City into a haven for crime as the costumed vigilante Lockup. It's up to Batman and Robin to rescue his prisoners and battle him for their lives on an abandoned prison ship. Original air date, November 19th, 1994, baby. Story by Paul Dini, teleplay by Marty Eisenberg and Robert N. Skier. Directed by Dan Reba. Music by Christopher Carter and Brian Langsbard. Animation by Dong Yang. Featuring guest star Bruce Weitz as Lockup, who actually later went on to voice Bruno Mannheim in Superman the Animated Series. How about that? That's why his voice probably sounds familiar. Now, Lockup is one of the few episodes to feature a villain created specifically for the animated series, and boy, do they pack a lot of backstory into a single episode. I mean, the episode feels a little rushed at times, but it's a fun idea and fulfills that kind of classic superhero trope of showing what Batman could be if he crossed a line, holding a mirror up to the dark night and showing him a darker night inside of a mirror. How is it night inside of a mirror? Because you're outside and it's not day. Anyway, it's got some great rogues gallery cameos up top, it heavily features Gotham's civilian supporting cast, and also happens to coincidentally be one of the two back-to-back episodes featuring the Scarecrow being dragged back to Arkham. Poor Master of Fear. Bruce Weitz does a great job giving Lockup a nice gravelly menace, and the dialogue is perfectly incisive and over-the-top when it needs to be. Plus, Batman's car gets booted. And who doesn't love a final battle that takes place in an abandoned prison ship? So... Let's talk up, lock up, shall we? Today's fan, Echo Kellum. 
Echo's one of my best buddies. You can see him perform with me together live over at UCB Sunset every Friday at 9 p.m. in Los Angeles with Winslow. But, you know, beyond that, you probably know him best as Curtis Holt, a.k.a. Mr. Terrific on CW Zero, as well as an actor on Rick and Morty, Pig, Goat, Banana, Cricket, Sean Saves the World, Ben and Kate. So here we go. Let's get to that interview. Yeah, so pressure's like, on. Watch what you say. <laughs> I know you get really nervous around yeah, me. Yeah, I really do. Um, the stuff I was saying before we started recording was pretty, pretty offensive to a lot of people. Yeah, so. I feel like you universally offended every single race, sexuality. Yeah, fan I really of did. I, I'm happy you. I thought you were recording, and I was having a really bad morning. So yeah. I'm glad that to know that you were recording. Right? We can say all of those things again. Okay, yeah, let's just go into. It. Okay, great. <laughs> so first of all, I hate the. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's like, even as a joke, you're like, well, if I say that one thing... Ah, nope. Can't even go there. (laughs) I'll get you on tape, Echo. Uh, Cool. So I'm sitting down with Echo. Hello, Um, everyone. We just watched Lock Up together, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a rarity. I don't usually watch it with people, but like sometimes with, you know, a buddy, you got to sit down and watch a cartoon. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a what a what a rough day at work. Oh, boy. We get to watch cartoons on a Monday. Yeah, it's a Monday day. Echo walked over to my place. (laughs) I literally live behind (laughs) Justin. It's kind of it's really perfect. It's actually perfect. Okay. Well, you know, this living room, we've done a lot of improv in this living room. This was like our first year and a half of improv in this living room twice a week yeah until our neighbors now my neighbor both of our neighbors yeah. uh thought we were worshiping the devil and <laughs> yeah they wrote a letter that said that it sounded like we were making noises akin to devil worship uh, <laughs> now echo is friendly with those neighbors mm-hmm. uh, and apparently they're good people they're good people they were just scared because their um their in-laws were <laughs> At home, and we were probably saying some weird, weird, weird uh, improv incantations. I mean, something. to be fair, improv does sound like a cult from far away. Yeah, if I didn't know what improv was, I would just think that my neighbors are literally insane <laughs> and that I never, ever want to be involved in anything they do. I don't even want to knock on the door because they'll probably eat my face. They're screaming I mean. about a parrot ghost and a butt pirate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, uh, boy. So... Let's talk a little bit. You're when I met you, man. Like, is it four years ago Five, at this point? Almost, Five. Is it 2011? Yeah, I yeah. guess that is four. We met because we were put on a UCB improv team together, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Uh, but you're easily like the other nerdiest person on the team, like wearing like DC comic <laughs> shoes immediately. Like uh, you bought like yeah. Green Lantern shoes, and mm-hmm. I think Joker, Batman, or Joker, Superman, Riddler. I mean, I went and bought every single pair of DC Chucks that I could find. Yes, and I like, feel like my... you've consistently still worn them. <laughs> I still wear them. Years. Yeah. I yeah, that's been. I've had those for years, yeah. and I still. Well, that's because I have so many shoes, so I'm. I usually don't run a pair into the ground. Because I'm always switching them up. Like some pairs I don't wear for weeks or months even. You gotta save like, those green you gotta save shoes those. for a special day. My favorite gym shoes, period, are the Converse Joker Chuck Taylors mm-hmm. with the black top and the black strings. And then he's like, has ha 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 all over it. And the Joker's like crazy face, so like purple and black. 
the sickest shoes of all time. Am I? Shoe am guy? I Would you say that you're just a shoe guy? Absolutely a shoe guy. Yeah, I used to collect Jordans when I was like younger, and that was the year to collect Jordans. Yeah, two hundred dollars a sh- a pair, dude. So Holy I was like, my whole paychecks were just going to getting Jordans. And, where were you working at the time? Uh, where was I working? I might have been working at um Funko Land, which then became GameStop, Ooh. and then I was working at EB Games too for a while, yeah, and then I was working at Geek Squad. Guy. Yeah, oh yeah, huge video game guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Geek Squad, well, good thing you're playing a very smart, intelligent character on television. <laughs> I know. Geek Squad really uh, set me up for these uh, Mr. Terrific days. Yeah, do you feel like that's where you draw <laughs> from when you're playing Mr. Terrific is Geek Squad experience? In some ways, yes, but also it's just like I was prototypical Geek Squad before I became Geek Squad. You know, I've always been like into geek culture and a geek and a nerd and picked on in school for wanting to read comics and wanting to, you know, get into computers and stuff like that. So it was a real natural fit, I felt like. Uh, but I remember uh, I remember before I started working at Geek Squad, you know, I didn't know everything about computers. Like I didn't know how to build a computer and stuff like that. I was kind of familiar with it. But they, I got a job at Best Buy, and I was like, oh, I really like to work here. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You could be the personality of a Geek Squad because you're, like, you're really friendly and nice to people, and we'll just teach you how to do all the computer stuff. So they just taught me how to like do everything. And so I was like building computers and like doing all types of cool shit, like writing oh, man. stuff. I mean, it was, it was sweet. You I know? didn't know you knew how to build a computer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually, once you learn, it's so easy. I mean, you just need a motherboard, processor, power adapter, RAM, um, you know, hard And you drive. just throw them in a pile and suddenly they You throw them in a, a pile and then they form. Okay. Oh, wait, no, you have to have Transformers, first uh, of all. All your electronics have to be um, a part of the Transformer universe. Hopefully they're from Ultron or something like that. You know, they just I do feel like that is a difficult step for most people. I think that's <laughs> well, the hardest part. Mm, so you guys didn't have a huge semi-truck land in your backyard and then transform into this being called Optimus Prime when you were a kid? That was not a part of my that childhood. Was not, okay, well, that was my, my childhood originally. So, um, yeah. I had this dude named Megatron uh, <laughs> show up and threaten to murder me. Oh, well, that's day. completely different. That's completely different. No, okay. that's, that has nothing to do with Okay, cool. Not Transformers. <laughs> that's not Transformers related. Great. That's just this, uh, that's that weird uh, Latin dude in Hollywood. Megatron. Oh, yeah. I wonder what kind of background that is. I think, yeah, the etymology of Megatron. is definitely a uh, Latin origin based. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's a, that would be a cool, like, um, breakdancing name or, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Megatron. Yeah. <laughs> like a, a B-boy name is, like, Megatron. That's pretty oh sad. Mm-hmm. What? How's Aerovin? It's been... I'm talking to you like we didn't just talk about this. It's been fun. Um, I love it, man. You know, um, first of all, uh, see back to 2.7 minutes ago when I was talking about my geekdom and growing up. So to be like a part of a comic book TV show and just be a part of the DC universe Mm -hmm. is like... Huge! I cannot. Yeah, is this like it. a dream come true? Absolutely, definitely my dream job. Like, I mean, I I started working out. I mean, you remember this like a couple of years ago. I yeah. started like trying to get buffed. You're like, no, I want to be a superhero. You were already in good shape. I was in fair. decent shape, yeah. But I was I was like a runner, so I was like in running good shape. But I was uh-huh. like really skinny because like my metabolism is too fast, and I'm an ectomorph. That's my my body type. Wait, what? It's <laughs> my body type's an ectomorph, which means it's like a slimmer frame, and like I have to eat before I go to sleep. To put on weight just I to make know sure that, that ectomorph was a, that sounds like the coolest version. That's like X Men. It's a really something. cool. It's a really cool. I mean, there's like three types that, of body that you have. Like some like bigger dudes. I forgot uh-huh. what it's called. Like, not anamorph, but like something else. But it's it's kind of the same um, etymology of ectomorph, kind of. Oh, man. Yeah, but uh, so I like have to max out my metabolism way too fast. I have to eat like seven, eight meals a day. 
to put on weight. You know what I'm saying? So that's the hardest part for working out for me is to c- keep up consistently and eat a lot. Hold on one sec. I'm just going to move this. Oh, sorry. I keep ba- banging it. No, it's fine. But yeah, that's the hardest part of working out is I just have to eat a ton. And it's just so hard sometimes because you have to get up, go get food. Eat that food. Eat that food. Have and your people, body digest that food. People always give me shit, shit like, oh, I hate, I hate you for saying that. You have to eat a lot. That's your issue. I'm like, sorry. Sorry, this is the way Ectomorph my body baby. works. Like, Ectomorph baby. Yeah, you just scream Ectomorph baby and then you blast off on I just your keep dropping my fake mic as I blast off. Ha ha! I'll drop my mic from up here! Echo's always carrying that fake mic. <laughs> he's, always, mic. he's always trying to drop the mic on someone. Gosh. He's a real villain. <laughs> uh, so you put on muscle. Uh, yeah, a little, you yeah. deliberately put on muscle. I deliberately did. Even though I'm having some issues, like I messed up my rotator cuff like a month and a half ago. Oh, yeah. Again, second rotator cuff injury in as many years. And it sucks, you know, especially when you have this mindset where you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to consistently work on this thing. And then you get hurt. And then it takes you, it, it like takes off a lot of the progress you've made. And then you're just like, okay, time to start all over. But then your brain's like, well, what if you get hurt again? Is it going to be the same thing, this whole process? So it's very tough. Whatever yeah. Is, so. Well, I have the same uh, problem, except it's whenever I start to work out, I will hurt myself. Uh, and uh, then I'll you know, be like, that's why you shouldn't work out, man. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, you know, then I eat. And I am not an ectomorph. I'm a I'm a I'm a like, couchomorph. Oh, yeah. That so is like the we other have to type. sit on the couch yeah. and eat and just like watch TV. And then maybe like we'll get up and go to the computer, but like we won't go outside. You guys won't go outside. No, yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's but, that's why you're so pale, right? Yeah, <laughs> so you, honestly. You to go also, I'm a vampire. Oh, okay. Halloween. <laughs> oh, that's why it's uh, pitch black in here, and you have garbage bags over your windows. <laughs> yeah, you can't see me right okay, now. Great, I can't because because uh, we're doing an interview in the mirror, so I cannot. Good luck getting out. Okay, I didn't know that was your real voice. Yes. Uh, help. <laughs> you, that was a very unconfident help. Like it you didn't it. know if you wanted. Like help. I kind of wanted to kind of finish the podcast yeah. but i do want help help when this podcast is over i'm enjoying this so as soon as it's done help someone okay okay we can figure that mm. out uh we got that neighbor that hates me um <laughs> loves you though so cool good response to arrow people love mr terrific already yeah people have been very um very awesome with their uh praise of how I'm doing so far, and I'm just, um, I feel very fortunate that people uh, enjoy Curtis Holt and Mr. Terrific and what he's bringing to the show and what I'm bringing to the character. Um, and, you know, I'm just, that's important for me just to, you know, um, first of all, just to help people who weren't aware of this character to become fans of him. And then also, he's a like, very niche character. He and is. Now, the fact that they niche, picked him yeah. was like really cool because I didn't know about him truly until like I watched one of the cartoons, Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he became a character on it. But yeah. like, I, I, I learned about comic stuff mostly through the cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. That was like my window. In, I mean, because we were like nine, this whatever. This was the that, shit. Batman and X Men and all that stuff. And then. That's when I really just started copying comics and, you know, just loving them, you know. And Mr. Terrific was cool. Yeah. In the cartoon, he had a huge T on his yeah, face. I, I hope so. they keep that, you know. I mean, they definitely are keeping um, true to some of the aspects of the comic book, which is, like, T-spheres, really cool. baby. T-spheres, baby. <laughs> you have to say it like that. If you baby. don't say, T-spheres, baby. Right, now, that's the official Curtis Holt that's pronunciation. That's the official, cur- the fish, <laughs> and that's official. The and official uh-huh. Curtis Holt pronunciation of... <laughs> 
T Spheres baby. T Spheres baby. T Spheres baby. <laughs> That's you're gonna hopefully see that. Uh, yeah, I can't wait until that one forty minute long episode where you just hear a long T Spheres baby. Yeah, uh, they're working on that episode right now. Okay. Um, they're really, 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 really hitting the pavement. Yeah, that, I hear the know. writers hate having to work on that one. episode. They hate that one episode a lot uh, because I demanded it when I got hired <laughs> that I could write one. episode. It was in your contract. It was in my contract. I don't have a trailer because I fought so hard for this this you know one. What? He needs to say this. I'd rather lay on the ground and have an episode called T Spheres Baby Maybe. than have my trailer for the yep. whole season. That was exact that's verbatim what's written. In the I did do your legal paperwork. You did, you're I'm yeah. a lawyer too, so yeah. that I have no um, experience. To people who don't know, these are called bits that bits. we're doing. Uh, it's what we all do at our comedy theater all the time. Yeah. Um do you remember that one Thanksgiving, the first Friendsgiving we had when we were a team? Yeah. And I brought Nate there. And we just did, like, bits for just the entire time. And we did the bit about Steve's fake garden yes. outside. And we did that for, like, three hours. Truly, that's, like, what I love about comedy. Is yeah. That, I mean, granted, it's, like, lunacy. But, like, <laughs> you, it's just committing to a fake idea for so long. So long. That, that was the most fun because that was really my... First foray outside of like IO, not to say IO doesn't do bits, but UCB is like, we do bits. You know yeah. what I'm saying? We, we don't emotionally funny. connect. We hey, do bits. Let's do some fun, <laughs> funny stuff. And I was enamored because I was like, I don't think we talked about anything in about real life the entire time. We no. were just all playing characters and doing the weird happy Thanksgiving song when people came yes. in and stuff like that. And it was so much fun. It was like this, these are the people who will be writing television and creating movies for everyone in 10 to 15 years. Yes, you know that, what I'm like, room, of that room of people. So it, it was just a moment that I was like, oh, I love, I love this. I'm so happy I found improv and this form of comedy and stuff like that in this group of people. It's the in best. this theater, yeah. So, so perfect. And look at you now. Look at me now, baby. Baby, it's easy, That's baby. another um, Curtis Holt. He always says, look at me now, baby. <laughs> yeah, again, I hear the writers really hate having to really, put that in there. Really hate, really hate having me be in the room in the writer room, too. Or uh, on the show in general. Yeah, the writers it feels are like, like you're really uh, undercutting the, the tone of the show. I really am messing up the tone of the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's talk Batman the Animated yeah, Series. Let's talk. So this was the first time you had seen an episode since you were a kid. Yeah, since I was uh, younger. I, I would say at least probably 13, 14, something What like do that. you remember about watching the show like when you were younger? I remember it was badass. It was dark. Um, and I love the, uh, the artwork of yeah. it uh, because it felt so old school. Um, and I just remember thinking Batman's such a badass, and I always loved the fact that he didn't need superpowers to like bring down these fucking crazy villains. And yeah. you know, I always loved that. Um, and I always thought it was like a nice contrast against like the Spider Man and X Man cartoons and stuff like that, and even the Superman cartoon because I used to love, I used to love that too. Me too. Did yeah. you like Superman before that cartoon? Because I, I wasn't. I, I love Superman because I used to love the old Superman movies. Oh, like Christopher to, Reeve. Yeah, Christopher yeah. Reeve. And then one of my favorite uh, comic books of all time is definitely the Doomsday uh, novel. Yeah. When, when he, um, the death of Superman. I feel like yeah. that was prime comic reading for us. Oh like, yeah, that for was us. like the big event when Superman got killed. Heck yeah. Uh, and then it kind of spiraled out into like 
what was it, like Cyborg Superman? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they spun off like four different Supermans. They had like the boy oh, Superman, Steel. Steel. Steel was cool. The half, yeah, you're talking about half Cyborg, yeah. half robotic face Hank Superman. Hanshaw. Yeah, it was weird. And who was the, oh, yeah, and then the cool kind of badass Superman who had like the yellow glasses or being, he was like the teenager. He was like the oh, teenager. Superboy. No, it wasn't Superboy though. It was. Was it? Oh no! Maybe no, there it, were two. There were. It was Superboy a, had the leather jacket. Superboy had the leather jacket. So let's see. Superboy, Steel, half cyborg, half whatever. I think the Eradicator. The Eradicator. Yeah. Yeah. He like, had, like really this, like old lady glasses. Yeah. Or something, or something like that. Like, yeah. Yellow, orange. Yellow. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember the color yellow vividly. Like, I mean, but it was that was like probably my favorite um, like series. And then obviously Onslaught. I love the Onslaught series and X Men. That was like so dope. But um, definitely that cartoon, that Batman cartoon, just really was just different and unique and fun. And he had the coolest gadgets and the dopest, you know, vehicles and stuff like that. So I was definitely like buying the toys and all that stuff. Do you remember what the toy, like what your favorite toy was? The Batmobile, for sure. I think every kid loves that Batmobile. Unless you get, unless you you were fortunate enough to get uh, the Batwing, which is like, oh, you son of a... If, if a friend of mine had the Batwing... I had the Batwing Echo. Ah! But my mom... So here was the story with the Batwing. So she really wanted me to read a lot, which mm-hmm. was great. Uh, and so she would, like, do this, like, book club, like, where if I read, like, 30 books, I would get a gift. And I got to pick out the gift. So, like, I it made me want to read. Holy. Which was, like, real smart. Granted, it's, like, you know, an incentive of, like, a prize... But it worked, gotcha. and I read so much more as a kid than I do now. Yeah. Uh, but like, I got that like the bat plane or bat wing. Well, see, that's like, weird because I've given you that same incentive. I said, read thirty graphic novels, and, and I will come over and do your podcast. And you come over and do, and I'll come to your podcast, and you finally did it. I know so. I finally did because you know I hate graphic novels. <laughs> you hate graphic novels so much. Uh, it took you two weeks. About it took two me two weeks. weeks. Yeah. yeah, and they were all in one bathroom. Sitting. Yeah, yeah, which was great. It was great. <laughs> it feels weird to spend money on graphic novels because I'm done with them immediately. Yeah, but it's also so like, you never reread them again. Probably. I do. You know, I reread Hellboy uh, mm. a lot. I really yeah. love Mike Mignola's stuff. Uh, re- recently, like that's what I'm into, and I've been yeah catching up on that. But like, I'll reread Baltimore, which is another thing he mm. does. But like. I guess I'll read like some Batman stuff over again. Like, yeah. the Long Halloween is great. Do you still exclusively buy comic books? Um, hard print. I don't really buy comics on a monthly basis. Okay. Like, I'll mm. buy graphic novels. But okay. No. I... Do you get those like hard print? Or... Yeah. See, I've been using um, Comicsology uh-huh. or Comics X now. It's a, a an app. And it just has them all, the series, on the app. So, like, I've been on my iPad. And you just go pane to pane. So, it, like, really sets up what's happening next. And it's, like, really an amazing way to read comic books. Now. Oh, I'll so, like, like, each... Each pane, it'll just, like, go next. And they're, like, the next thing. And then, boom. And it <laughs> just feels cool. like, oh, shit, I didn't see that coming. You know, it's just, like... It's really like you're immersed in each panel. Like you're immersed versus... in each panel versus like kind of seeing what's on that page, but not not trying to spoil it. But it's like that's cool. It's really an awesome way to read comics. Like I, it's it's one of the ways that I've been reading. I've uh, been catching up on the Walking Dead uh, graphic novel. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm caught up on um, the TV show because I love Walking Dead. Obviously, yeah. But um, it's really <laughs> phenomenal, man. And they have so many comic books on there too. They have so many. Not everything. Uh, like I was trying to get the Mr. Terrific series on there, so they didn't have it. But I don't uh, know what's good now. Like I need recommendations. I know I I kind of do too. My friend Reese is like 
on point with all the comic yeah, book stuff. Yeah, you gotta have I mean, friends. The Earth 52, sorry, here they get it. Um, the Earth 52 stuff is pretty solid. Um, the DC, oh, like all the new DC mm-hmm. art. Yeah, not mm-hmm. new, I guess, at this point, but like yeah, they're but the slight. Slightly newer type of uh, DC stuff where they have, you know, they've been dealing with that on The Flash where they're talking about the different Earths and whatnot, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, but the JSA is pretty good, Justice Society of America. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know. It's. I think it's. Uh, I think comic books and stuff are having a renaissance, a, a, a returning renaissance right now. Because I felt like, like you said in the '90s, like when we were growing up, that was when it was really like, boom, hitting. Like everybody was loving it. It's, but I think especially now with how popular the movies are Absolutely. and stuff like that, how it's really taken over everything. In Hollywood. I feel like they were on their way out, and then movies saved them. Yeah. I mean, I also well, I, print in general, right? Print's doing just bad. And now it feels like because the movies are doing so much stuff and TV, like, you know, whatever, you have like Arrow and The Flash, finally seeing like these, like fucking like Gorilla Grodd is showing up in The Flash, yeah. which is insane. Amazing. Uh, then it feels like comics are like down to take more chances. Yeah. Like it's like, okay, you know, like we're going to do like more experimental stuff. Some of it won't work and some of it will. Yeah. But uh, like they're trying new things and, you know, not every superhero is white and a man. Hey, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> right? That's pretty sweet. You know, that's a very interesting thing to kind of bring up. Um, I have some like older friends from like, you know, when I lived in the hood and stuff like that, but we're still like very close. We all like went to the same grade school together. We've been friends since we we're nine years old. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of them like are against kind of there, like for instance, I asked my friend. I was like, "Man, I would love to see like a black Superman," which there is a black Superman now in the uh, Injustice Society and stuff like that. And my friend's like, "Man, Superman's supposed to be white. That's just the way it's supposed to be. Superman's white, and he's just white." I'm like, "But yeah, but that's because there were white men just writing it." We yeah. didn't, I'm like, "We didn't have a chance to have black dudes in the room trying to create this, or women in the room trying to create superheroes." I was like, "So I don't think I want to sign up to." Yeah, if the superhero was white, they got to stay white because it wasn't fair, essentially. And I still love these characters, whether they're white or black or whatever. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm not going to be like, no, Superman can't be black. You know, like, Echo's doing the Superman I'm doing pose, Superman as, pose, as I say that. that. But yeah, that's like, I'm like, come on, dude. Especially because like, this is like my black friend who's saying <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, like, like, out of all nah, people, you got to understand this. But he's like kind of, he's a little bit older than us. We always make fun of him, call him Old Man John or whatever. <laughs> but he's only he's only like seven years old than us. But we're just like, hey man, how was the 20s? And stuff like that to him all the time. Shut up. Right? <laughs> I can own him. Uh, but it's like interesting, like the racial element, like how people are giving um, Michael B. Jordan hate for Which the past time. It's like, crazy. really? You, you can't suspend suspend your uh, belief, your disbelief that he can't be sisters with the white girl, but oh, he can fly in the air on fire. That's right. cool. You know, so I was like, come on, y'all. Like, these are fictional characters. And I wish it was a little bit more um, colorblind casting sometimes when I want to yeah. put him out there. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like they, <coughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe I look at it like as it's like really like <coughs> subconscious or like latent kind of racism uh, if you don't want somebody who's not white to play a character. Yeah. Uh, like you can't, also like just don't be so beholden to the character as they are. At this point, we've seen so many iterations of them. There yeah. are so many stories with them. You can yeah, check out Sam that Yeah, wasn't Sam Jackson great as Nick Fury? Like, come right, on, and know. that came because of the Ultimates. Yeah, like absolutely. Everybody accepted that. Why can't, you know... I think it's because people were like, oh, Nick Fury isn't as big a character, but it's like, I would have loved to see Spider-Man when Marvel grabbed yeah. him. You Heck know, yeah, I wish Miles to... Morales would have shown up or something like that. That would have yeah. been cool. But the, I guess that's a question, right? Now, how do you feel... Now, this is something we got into deeper. How do you feel about Peter Parker... 
being played by a black dude versus Malmo. Malmo. I'm fine Does it matter? It. Yeah, I'm totally fine with it too. I was like, I don't care if Peter Parker's black or white. Cool, to me, like personally. give him the same personality, yep. backstory. Maybe you'll adjust it. Uh, yeah. But like, also like Peter Parker was like in Queens. Yeah. <laughs> and, and why does that change the character so much that we can't relate to him anymore? What We can't connect with Peter Parker because his skin shade? Please, yeah. stop, you know? Exactly. But... Like I said, mainly this is an argument my black friends are making. So it's not like any racist people are going to be like, hey. So it's just like, no. But even like my friends, I'm like, dude, we got to we gotta be pro-black. Like we got to be pro-everything, not just pro-black, like pro-inclusion for everyone. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So It feels like it's slowly shifting. Yeah, it does. Uh, but it still is like crazy to me that, you know, you still look at the slate of superhero movies and it's mostly white dudes. Yeah, has there been one superhero movie besides Blade that was like the lead? No, was but don't Black worry, movie? Black Panther is coming out. <laughs> Thank God, Black Panther. Just in case you didn't know. <laughs> oh, and also Black Cyborg. <laughs> Black what? Cy- is his name just Cyborg? Maybe yeah, but we're gonna call him Black Cyborg. <laughs> just so people, our our people understand when they come to the movie what they're coming to see. Man, there was a good. It was like a Harvey Birdman bit from mm-hmm. like. Back in the old Adult Swim days of like, Hello. I think it was like Turn a it, Black baby. Lightning. Uh, I want to say it was like Phil Lamar who voiced him. I could be wrong, but, but like you're the probably whole right. Like, he voices so many. He voices everybody. Yeah, everything. Uh, black character or not in cartoons, like he has like the best. It's insane. Wasn't he Samurai Jack? Yeah, he was Samurai Jack, and he was like everything on Futurama. Yes, he's amazing. I mean, yeah. And also John Stewart, Green Lantern. Oh Great. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, I think, I think he was Black Lightning, and the whole bit was just like. Why can't you just call me Lightning? Why does it have to be Black Lightning? Like, I was just like, well, that's the joke. Like, that's so true. You've done that. That's like the best version of that joke. But yeah. Truly, Why couldn't it just be Panther? Like Panther. Yeah. Black Panther. Uh, although I am really excited about Black Panther. That me was too. my it's favorite part dope. of the Ultron movie was mm-hmm. that like slice of that world. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's his name was the villain? Uh, Gollum. Oh, yeah, yeah, Andy yeah. Serkis, like, as himself, plays the guy who's, like, armed. Spoiler alert. Is oh, spoiler alert. Off. Oh, boy. All right, so <laughs> uh, for all our fans who uh, haven't seen it, we're so sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway. But, yeah, it's going to be cool. Let's reroute back to Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we just watched Lock Up. Do you remember that episode at all, or... I don't really remember it, but there were some very interesting themes inside of it, like... Uh, the bad guy was like, um, like he made a dig at the liberal media yeah. and stuff like that. Like, and it was just really interesting to me that he was using the government resources to kind of get criminals. Like, he put a boot on Batman's car. I think that's the most wonderfully <laughs> insane thing. Like, Batman has faced so many things, but a boot is probably the most annoying. It's thing. probably, dang it. Oh. And that's the one thing that you know Batman is not preparing for. It's no. like, so I'm going to put a boot on my freaking tire of my Batmobile. Here's the thing, like, Bane and Lockup are the only two people to... I guess the Penguin... But, like, Bane punched the Batmobile. Yeah. Lockup booted it. <laughs> like those Which one the, was more effective? Uh, I, I, would say the, I would say Lockup. I think that boot... Yeah. Uh, uh, to me, it's crazy. Like, it's also like the Batmobile security isn't good enough that it couldn't get rid of a boot. I know. All billions of dollars it took to build that thing, and a boot will shut it down. But I think you're right. It's like so funny that, like, he's using like government institution mm-hmm. kind of mechanisms yeah. to stop Batman. Prisons. But then I, I thought the interesting thing about the episode is really 
you see all I mean it, it was really a sympathizing with the bad guys episode right like because it was all the prisoners right you start that were being with tre- scarecrow terrified yeah. I, I didn't really want crime I just didn't want to come here because him and it's Lyle Lockup what's his last name Bolton Lyle Bolton Lyle Lockup Bolton like I got a Batman in the <laughs> darkest like corner like they were setting up this dude was bad from the get go if you didn't know when he smiled evilly and took the scarecrow away <laughs> I mean, that cartoon took that note so seriously. Eve smiled evilly, <laughs> and then he snatched him up. But it was it was pretty cool to see a villain percolate from inside the forces of government. You yeah. know what I'm saying? The forces that are usually pretty good. And then terrorizing the bad guys, even though he's definitely going to an unorthodox uh, way. And, you know, that's something that Batman has dealt with his entire you know what i'm saying um life as a comic is like the, what's the line you right know what I'm saying? and it was such a cool like, mirror to see batman kind of yeah. reflected in like okay this is what happens when you cross that line yeah like i like how the dude's like kidnap innocent reporter hey batman join me to stop all the bad people and it's like um but what about the innocent reporter you just kidnapped um too late you're dead to me like <laughs> No conversation, no logic. It's kind of nope. Interesting. He's not lodge up. He's lock up. <laughs> He's lock up. Oh man, I'll lock up Bolton. <laughs> He'll lock you up if you're kind of bad. Echo. Hey, yeah. Have I, you thought about maybe a career in singing um, about Batman villains? Um, actually, I do have a career singing and about Batman. Oh my god, villains. That was track one. Don't you know what's not lame? He's big. He's bad. His name's Bane. Ooh. Hey. And I only do. I only have two. You only have two. That was it. <laughs> I only have, uh, well, I only have two um, verses that I do for, oh, the, yeah, for yeah, each yeah. song. I like to call them Vine songs. <laughs> I'm trying to make a, a song that lasts six seconds. Truly, um, if you did record that, I feel like it would do really well. <laughs> it gets like a billion downloads. <laughs> uh, hey, the guy who plays Mr. Terrific is singing a song about Bane on Vine right now. <laughs> <laughs> you got to tune into his Vinoscope. <laughs> uh, yeah, he also calls it Vinoscope for some reason. I don't know why he does that. <laughs> oh my god. Um, we really like that guy's voice. Uh, I forget Bruce, what his name was. Uh, Bruce White's? Yeah, Bruce White's. I uh, thought he played uh, King Koopa on the old Mario Brothers. He does have a, he has a Bowsery voice for sure. You know, one of those. Uh, yeah, like Mario. Yeah. Mario. Yeah, he does. Yeah, um, He had a great voice. He's a good voice. That yeah. guy, he was like so menacing, but like just perfect cartoon voice can too. I, can I tell you something? Yeah. I'll be honest. I date that voice. I would date that voice. Oh, you would date that I voice? I would date that voice. Yeah. All right. I just, well. to, I just wanted to get real with y'all for a second. I would date that voice. Just the voice, not the Bruce body. Bruce White's, not the body. Bruce, if you hear me, get at me. <laughs> I think he's in Connecticut. Only right on now. the phone, though. <laughs> Only over the phone. He's got a good voice. He has, like, he's a he's this character actor. We looked him up. He's no, he got, is. like, a lot of, lot of credits. I did like two seasons on a um, TV show with Richard Lewis in the 90s. I'm like, dude, that's pretty sweet. Like, you know, I, I always tell people like whenever I do classes or stuff like that, whenever I teach or do workshops and stuff, it's like, we're not all good. <laughs> like if you're coming out here to be an actor, obviously we all can't be Will Smith. Like, and that's okay. Because you can still make a great life doing what you love. Just like this dude did. You know, like, is he making millions of dollars a year? Probably not. But he's making a decent living to sustain his life, to probably have a house, you know, uh, security, you know, all that stuff. And he gets to do what he probably loves to do. Oh, yeah. You know? So That's... it's it's really cool, like, looking him up and seeing all his credits and different stuff. It's like, I would totally be comfortable 
having that life as an actor, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't have to be... You know, um, Louis Gossett Jr. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to be. Uh, I know that you've been saying that every day since I met you. I just, I just saw uh, that movie Iron Eagle, and he was. Why can't he it just so be eagle? Why can't? Why has got to be iron? Why is that Why can't it be man? Why can't it just be man? God. By the way, if a movie ever comes out and it's just called Man, I'm going to it. Oh yeah, obviously. Oh, yeah. I don't care. I don't care if M Night Man. M Night did it. I'm going to see Man. Good God. <clears throat> Even though I do like M Night, can I just say that I didn't like some of his movies he came out with recently? But man, Signs was my joint. That one, that that one scene in the birthday party where the alien yeah alien cross. cross oh my God, terrifying. I like the me. first half of Signs a lot. I'm mm. trying to like the second, the second half. half kind of fell off the rails a little bit. Yeah. I, I used to work in the movie theater when that came out, mm. so I saw it like three times in the movie theater, and I was loving it. I would rewatch it. I haven't seen it yeah. in a while. It's a good movie. Sixth Sense was great. Unbreakable's mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, yeah. Queen Phoenix. I like the village. The thing that I hated about the village is that they kind of um, marketed it as a horror movie when mm-hmm. it was really kind of a love story with an interesting plot twist. I think the horror was Adrian Brody's performance. Oh, I think <laughs> I think some people would agree. It was the most broad <laughs> depiction of somebody with well, anyway. Yeah. Um, um, spoiler alert! <laughs> for all of our fans, sorry, we just spoiled sorry, village the village for you. Uh, actually, I didn't finish my sentence so you can still watch it. <laughs> uh, boy. So this episode ends on a boat. On a, on a sinking U-boat. On a boat! On a yeah. boat! Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it was a pretty epic battle. It was, yeah. Like, there were, like Batman's face almost got bladed up by the by the boat roarders. Or, what, what are those called? I don't know. Uh, the propellers, the the propellers on the bottom. I'll say, yeah. They look what like are they called? Boat blades. I'll the call boat, them blades. boat blades. Those oh, those. I'm sorry. Those boat black blades. Yes. Those boat, boat black, black blades. blades. Excuse me. Uh, make sure boat you get it correct. Black blades. Trinity. <laughs> black boat blades. Maybe <laughs> say that. That's what's the Black boat blades. Trinity. <laughs> Baby. Part three. Baby. <laughs> yeah. Um. But. It was pretty epic. I mean, that dude definitely was just a hulking mass of a man. Jesus, he looked like he was going to explode he in the did, beginning when yeah. he like, was fighting off those guards. Yeah. You leaned over, you're like, is he going to explode? <laughs> yeah. And then Bruce gave him a nice little chair trip because he's just like. That was pretty the cool. Man. I love seeing Bruce Wayne like pretend he's dumb and slyly do some cool Batman shit. That is in pretty public. dope. Yeah. That's pretty sick. I like that. Does, I mean, they don't really. I'm trying to think back to the Batman movies. Did they ever show that part of Bruce Wayne ever in the Batman like movies? Not. That's not really. You no. Know, I feel like the Burton movies. It was a little more cheesy. Yeah. I mean, deliberately so. Fun like, and amazing at the yeah, time. Yeah, it was like, just like great. its own kind of tone. I mean, the first two anyway. <laughs> yeah, the first two are great. I love. Yeah. Forever. Did you like Forever? Are we about to say? I love oh, Forever. forever? I. Yep. Yeah, it came out at the right time, and I yeah. loved it. I, I it actually good. rewatched it recently. It holds up as like a fun movie. I'm not, yeah. you know, it's not like going to be the best Batman. That was movie. the Riddler and Schwarzenegger, right? The no, Ice that's Man. the Riddler and Two Face, and then Schwarzenegger was in Batman and Robin. Oh, okay, okay. But it was the Riddler same. Two Face, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was, a, I still am, uh, even though he says some kind of messed up stuff lately. I, I was a, the biggest Jim Carrey fan growing up. Yes, as a kid. So seeing him come in and play that the was Riddler, the peak of Jim Carrey. So it like was. as a kid, it really you was loved comedy, and you loved Jim Carrey. He got to do whatever the hell he wanted in that movie. Absolutely. Like, he wasn't really the he Riddler. He wasn't me. He, he, was, he was just Jim Carrey. He was just... Yeah, it was... Yeah. Ah, 
God, it was so good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it, it holds up as like a fun movie. It's not like, oh man, this is going to be the best Batman story ever. Yeah. But it was it was kind of like an updated version of like Adam West Batman. Yeah, it was. It like, really very was. Very campy. Yeah. They really went for a lot of the comic book tropes. And whereas Batman, Batman Begins was so dark, and but they were great, great, yeah. great, great films. Batman and Robin does not hold up. Does it's pretty not. boring. Notice I haven't said the name once today. Yeah. Um, but... I also didn't like um, The Dark Knight Rises as much. I didn't like it either. Yeah, I love the, uh, the Batman. Um, what was it called? Uh, the the one that Chris, first one Dark. Christopher Nolan did? Oh, Batman Begins. Batman Begins. Love The Dark Knight. Uh-huh. Lo- Dark Knight's probably my favorite Batman movie it's of great. all. I mean, it's pretty much everyone's favorite it's Batman It's that movie. and the animated movie for me. And, by the way, I was in that movie. What? There's one part when the Joker... Uh, I was an extra when the they Joker takes Chicago? the bus they shot in Chicago when he kidnaps the bus from the hospital scene there's one part when he blows up one of the buses or the hospital I'm right at the front of the screen what? you can see me go like ha ah! and then it like cuts out to somebody else but for one second you can see me and I was at a party back in Chicago and this is when I first started like getting into my acting groove I've been acting since I was 13 but this is like first time getting back to the groove as an adult kind of and they paused that, that frame on TV at a party I was at I was like give it up because I'm just like you see my face on a Batman That's movie amazing. so that was like super cool to be like I was in the Batman movie and I, you can actually see me for a half a second if you didn't close your eyes that's nuts I always close my eyes during that one scene ah, a lot of people did you. that a lot of people closed so you'd say that was the highlight of your acting career and it's been downhill since it's then? been downhill since I was an extra on Batman <laughs> Dark Knight for sure oh man what was that like to be on set for that like, it was you saw Heath Ledger yeah I saw work. Heath Ledger work I, I saw that. Christopher Nolan like pointing people to like go over here it was very cool you know um you know, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody this week on Arrow when I was working. Uh, I think one of the um, makeup people, and oh, not the one of the makeup people, the script supervisor, the script supervisor actually. And she was saying like, you know, how some people just have a presence. So like, even extra, she's like, oh, they can't, because my eyes go straight to them, and there, it's not about them. It's about the two characters, but that right. extra, oh, my eyes looking at him. So we got to get that extra out of here. But then she's kind of like. You kind of have that presence where even if you're in the background, you just kind of look and be like, who's that dude in the background? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So it was pretty cool to get to do that as a background actor in Batman and for them to kind of put me at the forefront, I guess, because of whatever presence I might have had then. But I was like right at the front of the camera and I had no idea. Like, I was like, oh, I'll probably just be whatever. But you can like, you can see me. If you're looking for me in that scene, if you were putting it in right now, like, let's look at that scene. You'd be uh, like, there you are! Holy crap. We're gonna do this. Yeah, we're gonna do I it. Let's that. Do After it. this end, let's, let's do going it. to put yeah. it in and look Heck at yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was definitely cool just to be a part of that film, for sure. And anyway, you know. Oh, man. What was it like? Well, like, what? Did you, I mean, how much did you watch Heath Ledger do his thing? I only saw him do a little bit of, like, kind of dancing on top of the bus. Kind of not dancing, but kind of just doing his, like, thing up yeah. there. Um... And then that was it. Then he he got in one. He got into our bus and drove off. But I wasn't in the. They like filtered me out by then. Ah. You know when he took off, or whatever. But that's was, awesome. But I always think I'm like, hey, my character's on that bus. Like you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> kind of that extra dude who's at the front. Yeah, like we're going. He's to he's that. kidnapped. He's kidnapped. <laughs> he's probably in the building. Who knows? You, you know. So happy you were kidnapped. So happy, the Joker. Dude. Um. Yeah. So. Oh, uh, do you yeah. have a favorite Batman villain? Um. Let me think about this. Yeah, this is a very serious This is question. serious. You know, honestly, it used to be Bane until the movie came out. 
I feel like the movie ruined Bane for me a Bane little bit. Bane has not been done well in a movie. He hasn't. He ha- uh, in the comic, he was so great. I mean, he's the first person to ever And I think like, Tom Hardy is back. great. I do too. But did he do the voice? Did Tom Hardy do that I voice? I think he did, and I think they re-recorded uh, it too, but it wasn't wolf, his choice. Why did like... they make... Uh, why did he have to... Batman, I'll show you what to... Uh, woof. Like, why did you do that to him? But there was more than that. That movie just like had some weird edits and other stuff, and I'm just like, wait, what is happening? The pacing what? was real. Yeah, weird. it was weird. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't knocking how Bane looked, the performance aspect of the character, but that voice just pulled me straight out. I was just like, Mm-mm, yeah. I can't even connect because I'm like, I did not think Bane sounded like this in my brain. Also, undercutting him at the end that he was like just a lackey again. It was like, no, yeah. Bane's like he. The best part about him is that he's this jacked up dude who's also a mastermind. Yeah, absolutely. And he kind of, he was, but then like, I feel like they just pulled the rug out from under him. They did, yeah. Uh, in, in a very like, fast, twisty reveal that like, mm-hmm. didn't really do anything. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but yeah. Talia, come on, let's let's get that in let's a different way. That. come on. Although, boy, <laughs> she, she was like a weird cartoon crush. Mm-hmm. Do you remember her on this, like Rachel Ghoul's daughter? Oh, hell yeah. She like, always, like for some reason, like, hair covering half of her face mm-hmm. was like, sexiest thing I've ever seen. She had the total Jessica Rabbit thing going on with that hair cover face thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah, she's great. It's actually really cool because I know the actor who plays Rachel Gould's daughter on Arrow. Oh, cool. Katrina Law and she's so wonderful on that show and as a person. But yeah, Tali, oh man, yeah. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Yep, 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 Hotness. And some about bad girls are just hot. Like I was saying earlier, Harley Quinn is just like, oh. Hey, girl. Those <laughs> eyes. Oh, my God. And that, that sense of humor. Hoy. It's the best. Give it to me. Harley's the best. Oh, she's the best. Yeah. Uh, I love, yeah, I mean, her and Catwoman in this show. Poison Ivy. I mean, can, I, can we just say Batman has um, the finest women of all time? <laughs> finest villains this of all time. Real, yeah. Yeah. yeah the and they're all villains. <laughs> You're talking about the Riddler, right? The Riddler. Oh, he's Ooh, yeah. so... No, I'm talking about Two-Face. You Ooh. see half of him so hot? Oh, oh yeah. You're talking about the blue gross half? Yeah, I'm talking about it's literally hot. Like, it's hot, <laughs> it's probably on fire. Acid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, finest villains of all time, for, for sure. sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I would say men and women. You know, fuck it. Let's give it to him. Yeah, Let's across the, the board. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, because here's the thing about Batman villains: they are psychologically tormented, mm-hmm. which means I think the craziest people are probably the best at sex. So they are totally are. Hey, I men, love baby. crazy girls. You know, that's <laughs> like I connect with Batman villains. You know, like they are. I want to marry one. I want to marry a Batman villain. You know that that's not possible, right? Um, don't tell me what's not possible. Okay, <laughs> uh, T spheres, baby, baby. <laughs> oh man, any other thoughts on the episode? Any uh, just fun episode. Uh, the show definitely still holds up. The artwork still looks great. Um, you know, I think this this show really just you know encapsulated the essence of Batman, that character, and really just brought him to a forefront that hooked him up with a whole bunch of new fans that were eager and ready to see that brought brought into the format of animation form and so i think that 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 show is still one of the best cartoons of of our childhood and still holds up and it's just a phenomenal character to follow and, and that I, episode was really great you know just to see that slice of life of a, a government official kind of being the crazy going one. crazy yeah yeah one of the original and then movies. at the end he's like I gotcha. I'm back where I wanted to be. <laughs> I love he's back that. in jail. Of like, course, wow. he's, he wouldn't be a Batman villain if he wasn't happy to be in Arkham Asylum yeah. watching them. Nah, he gets to watch I the Batman. I got it. They're real close. <laughs> Keep an eye on him. <laughs> 
Oh my god! Uh, and so now funny. you get to do cartoons too. I know. Maybe living the yeah, dream. Well, you're in like Rick and Morty. Oh and yeah, do Rick and yeah, that's true. Yeah, do cartoons. Oh yeah, Rick I, I, and Morty, I was American like, Dad, superhero. Family Guy, right? Yeah, I did American Dad, Rick and Morty. Uh, guest, I'm I'm recurring on this Nickelodeon show called Pig Boat Banana Cricket. Recurring on this Disney show called Atlanta of Avalor. So yeah, it's really cool. Just you waiting for that? You could do superhero stuff easy. I hope to. I, I mean, I feel like after Arrow too. It's like, yeah. I think that'll definitely help in some regards and all that type of stuff. So yeah, cool. Pretty sweet. Well, thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. And now a word from our sponsor. Are you horny for the clinically psychotic? Are you craving a bad boy in a straitjacket? Then head on over to ArkhamSingles.com, baby. Arkham Singles, baby. Baby. Our website instantly connects you with over 200 inmates at Arkham Asylum. And guess what? They're single and ready to mangle, baby. Baby. Today's inmate, Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. The Scarecrow. Likes. Hmm, well, phobias. Things that go bump in the night. General anxiety. Pina coladas. And a big brown stick I carry around. Dislikes. My plans being foiled. The Batman. Oh, and when somebody mistakes my noose for a necklace, I'm like, really? It's so obviously a noose. Ideal day. Oh, just an intimate dinner for two. We talk all night, watch a movie together, and hold hands, share popcorn, Diet Coke, some Skittle, nothing special. Smoking and drug use. Well, I like a good fear toxin now and then. <laughs> Favorite movie? Well, first, that video I record of you reacting to a fear toxin. But also, Please Don't Eat the Daisies is one of my favorites. Favorite TV show? Well, I would love to see that video of you with the neurotoxin turned into an episodic series. Final thoughts? Generally, I'm just looking for a woman who's willing to be exposed to a neurotoxin that alters her sense of reality and makes her see spider rats crawling out of her bones for the rest of her life. But I also like to coddle. Care to join me? So what are you waiting for? Send yourself to the loony bin. Unless you're a baby. Seriously, though, if you are a baby, baby, you're not legally allowed to sign up. Arkham Singles, baby. The only thing more criminally insane than our inmates is choosing not to sign up for our dating website. Baby. Today's guest... Robert N. Skeer. Robert is a television writer who last appeared on the podcast in episode 5 to discuss What is Reality, which he also co-wrote. He's also written for Gargoyles, Spider-Man, X-Men, and a host of other cartoons you most likely grew up on. He's a great guy, a true fan who got to live the dream while the show was on the air, and he has a wealth of fun information. He always has so much to say. I think you're really going to like it. Let's listen to Robert talk. I'm happy that you're back on the podcast. We made good on that promise at the end. It was a really good time talking with uh, with you and Yak. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a great time. Yeah, listen to episode five if you haven't. Uh, I feel like most people who listen to this podcast are like listening to every one of them, but maybe they're just tuning in for the first time. How many is this now? 
This one will, well, it depends on its release date. Once every two weeks. Wow. Okay. It's pretty, pretty nuts. Very impressive. <laughs> well, equally impressive, more impressive, is the episode Lockup. How's that for a segue? That's a great segue. Uh, so this is another episode that you wrote. We talked a little bit about it in the last episode with you. We touched on it, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I wanted to dive in and, and really dig into it. Well, Lockup is an episode that I'm really like most proud of. It's um, it was the third episode that Marty and I did for Batman. It was the one that was totally on my desk, so I was like you know front man on it. Um, brief history of that is that. Uh, when we first started doing the superhero shows, um, I was just, you know, gunning to do Batman. Oh, my God. We're going to do Batman. This is going to be great. Batman. And, uh, and then uh, X-Men came along, and I'm like, Marty, you want to do Batman? Because I'm like, X-Men, insane. Yeah. So um, we worked on uh, X-Men. We worked on Batman. I was like the front guy in the X-Men episodes, and Marty was the front guy on the Batman episodes, particularly because the first one was the Riddler, and it's like, that's just Marty's bailiwick. I mean, wow. And I talked about that last time. Um, when it came time to do Lockup, that was our third Batman episode, and we had done a whole bunch of X-Men by that point, and it just reached a point where it's like, we wanted to switch it up. So um, I took Batman and Marty took X-Men. And at that point he was doing a two-part episode called Savage Land, Savage Heart, which focused on Storm uh, being kidnapped up to, or down to actually, the Savage Land. And uh, it, was a, it was a two-part episode. It was really, really great. It worked out really fantastic. And, um, you know, it was, just, uh, it was just top-notch stuff all the way around. Uh, and while Marty was doing that, um, we were also invited to do a third Batman. Um, we met with Paul Dini and Alan Burnett. And Paul had come up with this great idea. And that was that they managed to find somebody to be in charge of Arkham Asylum who was able to keep all of these people locked up. So instead of it being a revolving door for every lunatic in Gotham, this guy was able to keep everybody behind bars, which is fantastic. The problem is, he was crazier than they were, and now Batman's got to take him down. And uh, that was the idea that, that Paul came up with. It came up with the name Lockup, and... It was like a brilliant idea. We loved it. it was, we loved it. Yeah, it's one of the few original villains for the series. I think Lockup made it into the comics before Harley Quinn ever made an appearance. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay, well... Um, During No Man's Land, I think he was introduced, and it was before Harley made the jump from animation to comics. Well, that's because Lockup is a better character, and that's why you've seen so much more of Lockup than you ever will of Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah, I love Mad Lock. That uh, you know, <laughs> the Joker right. and Lockup really have their relationship explained. <laughs> I did not realize Lockup made the jump first. Um, he says he was he was a great character. He was a great character to write. Um, Paul came up with a basic idea. We were assigned with writing the episode, so. It was up to us to basically give him the personality that we gave him. Well, and what was the conversation like with Paul and Alan? Like, d when they came to you, was it like, hey, we want you guys to write this because we know you'd be good for a particular reason? Or did you guys hear about it and then you were like, oh, that sounds good for us? They called us and invited us to write the episode. That's awesome. Yeah. They said, we have, a, we have the premise here. We have a, a, you know, a great idea for a story. It was a jumping off point for the story because 
Whereas, you know, they gave us the, the, the whole setup and everything. The, the whole plotting for the episode was then left for us to do. So um, what happens, you know, during the investigation, what happens during the third act, all of that was left up to us. And also, you know, um, giving Locke up his whole personality and everything. But um, the idea that he was keeping everybody locked up the way he was, the fact that he was brutalizing them, the whole thing where they um, had this trial in the beginning, all the stuff that constitutes what you would call Act One in Aristotle's structure. Basically, all the stuff that goes on before Lockup gets fired and then becomes a supervillain, all that stuff before then is what you call Act One. And all that was pretty much outlined by uh, by by Paul. He you know said okay, well they have this they have this hearing, and you know he winds up getting fired. I so think it's the only time the word inquest has been uttered in a children's television show. We were very <laughs> big guess. on using big words back then. Uh, yeah, and it was um, you know it was it was it was a it was a great story, a great jumping off point. Um, and so it was up to us to come up with the structure of the story and. Um, to take it from there. So once Lockup gets fired, he decides to start locking up all the people who are in charge of Gotham, who he considers to be, you know, the real villains. And so he goes after the mayor, and he goes after the commissioner, and he goes after, you know, this TV reporter. You know, the people who are like at society, the, the, the real causes of society's problems, you know, the, the, the media and, uh, and all the people who are ineffectual. Right, he's like, they're the symptoms, you guys are the sickness. That's right. Yeah. And, um... So he starts locking them up, and, and Batman, you know, has to figure out, okay, who's doing this and why. Um, jumping all over the place on this, I suppose. But in terms of structuring it, I just, I just want to talk about the structuring right now. Yeah. You have the investigation, and then you have, okay, well, where is this ultimately leading? And you have to come up with a really, really big kind of action sequence for a third act of any particular Batman episode. I mean, any action show, certainly, but... You know, you want to come up with something original, something that hasn't been seen before. And I loved the idea of having Batman have a knockdown, drag out fight in a sinking ship. And where that idea came from was, believe it or not, Great Expectations. Really? Yeah. And Great Expectations, uh, in the very beginning, uh, this character Pip is in a graveyard and suddenly he happens upon this escaped criminal whose name is Magwitch. And Magwitch had escaped from a prison ship. They called him the Hulks. Mm-hmm. And they had these, these, these giant prison barges. They'd send the prisoners out there. Sometimes they'd send them out to Australia. Sometimes they'd just leave them in the boats for a while. Uh, and I just loved the idea of these prison ships. They, they worked their way into um, a bunch of different ideas that I have. And some of them happen and some of them don't. But in this particular case, the idea was that Lockup had grabbed these guys and had put them in a ship that he had used as a prison while Stonegate Prison was under construction. So we had this prison ship that was actually fully functional beforehand. It was the conceit. So that this guy would have a lair Mm -hmm. and then we could sink it. And Batman and he could just, you know, have this, as they say, a big knockdown drag out fight. And I think it would be really apocalyptic if this thing was sinking and the two of them were there fighting on the 
on the stern as it was, you know, as it was going down, and there's like lightning, and you see these guys being silhouetted against it. Um, the storm they gave us was really good, but I really wish they had like really cranked it up at the end. So it was howling winds and lightning everywhere, and yeah. just you know the, the the primal forces of nature against them. But um, yeah, that was that was the idea was that you had this incredible visual and Batman fighting this guy who's like twice his size and meanwhile Robin is helping the other guys escape that's one of the things that you want to do when you have Batman and Robin in a story together one of the best things you can possibly do is to split them up and have them have separate things to do Um, unless you want them in the same room together you know having Robin quipping at Batman which is always fun if you find a way to split them up it, uh, it, it it makes for a much better story yeah so in this particular story, at one point we have Robin doing the physical investigation when he find out that uh, Lyle Bolton is the one who's been locking people up. They go to his old apartment. So you figure, okay, we'll send Robin to do that while Batman, you know, investigates the um, the clues that were left behind. Mm-hmm. And in the original script, when Robin went there, he he goes to the old apartment. Initially, when he was going around, he's, he's doing this investigation, there's, there's a, a closet, and he goes into the closet, and the closet slams shut behind him and traps him there. And then there's a line like, uh, oh, great, this is going to be a great headline, Boy Wonder Gets Outsmarted by Closet. <laughs> and then you cut back, and you know, he, he, you know, there's an explosion, and he blows his way out of it. Yeah. But um, you have them have separate investigation so that each of them has something very very different to do it splits up the story too because it's monotonous just watching one person going on one investigation it's nice to um to have some cut back and forth between sure and at this point it's the new adventures of batman and robin <laughs> yes <laughs> gotta see him do something and you really want robin to be having fun in these stories um there's a point where they talk about they they realize who this guy is and they realized that this is the guy who had been hired, had been brought in uh, to watch over the guys in, in Arkham. And it was done with financing from Bruce Wayne, from the Wayne Foundation, which led to the line, um, another villain brought made possible by a grant from the Wayne Foundation. I loved that. <laughs> which is, I think, one of my favorite lines I've ever given any character ever in all time. I just thought that was fantastic. It's, well, it's true, too. <laughs> it's true, yes. <laughs> Uh, I, I love that they, it was like, oh, of course, they would make jokes like this. It was like, they felt, made them feel like real people a little bit more. Robin would make a joke like that. Batman would just give him a withering look and yeah. make him feel bad for having oh. said it. Yeah. Um, oh, going back. Oh, we just... Yeah, we can jump around. Jumping around all over the place. Uh, the original idea was that in the very beginning, we see Batman and Robin taking somebody back to Arkham. And when they pitched the idea, they said, they're taking the Mad Hatter back. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, no, 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 not the Mad Hatter. He's, he's a puss. No, no, no. You bring the, uh, the Scarecrow back because he's the master of fear. And if this guy's afraid, you know that whatever's inside there is going to be the most frightening thing ever. And they came back with, well, yeah, but you know, we want to work with Roddy. Because Roddy McDowell was doing the voice for the Mad Hatter. Right. And I'm like, Roddy McDowell? Yeah. Um, Of course we're going to use the Mad Hatter. Who else would you use? Because you get to work with Roddy McDowell. So 
we wrote the scene for Roddy McDowell. I wrote uh, this really wonderful thing where they yeah, bring the, the Mad Hatter back, and he doesn't want to go in. And he's struggling, and he grabs Robin and he goes, "Beware the ba- the Jabberwock, my son. The nails that the the, the, the teeth that bite, the nails that you know." It's just, he's 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 railing, and he's doing this whole um, he's doing this whole Alice in Wonderland rant, and it worked really really great on the script, and I loved it. And then when they did the rewrite on it, they changed it to the Scarecrow because he's the master of fear. Right. And if he's afraid, and I'm like, oh, God, why did I win that argument? I didn't want to win that argument. <laughs> this is the one time that I shouldn't have spoken up about this. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those me and my big mouth moments. Cause... It does. I think, like, conceptually or thematically, it works really well. I mean, I remember watching it the first time. And the fact that it starts, like, in media res, like, we're thrown into it. It's like, great. He's being dragged in. You never see the Scarecrow like that any other time in the series. Uh, I mean, maybe like at the end of an episode or something. He's... When he gets hit with his own fear gas exactly. or something. But this yeah. is him just not hit with his own fear gas, legitimately frightened. That's such a powerful way to start the episode. You're really setting Locke up to be this guy that's It's a wonderfully terrifying. powerful way to set it up if you don't want to work with Roddy McDowell. <laughs> I really wanted to work with Roddy McDowell. <laughs> so that's one of these cases where I'm like, I made a really great argument I wish I had not made. Yeah, but um, but yeah, the, the scene as it plays right now is terrific. I'm really, really happy with it. Yeah, he's like creepily silhouette. When we first see Lock Up, it's just a silhouette at the top of the stairs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a really strong visual. Uh, and so when they, we go to the inquest, you get to play. I always liked when you got to see the villains outside of episodes that were just about them. Like seeing Harley, seeing, you know, the ventriloquist show up. It was like, oh, this really fills out the world. <laughs> Uh, and thrown in with, you know, we, we got a little Hamilton Hill in this. <laughs> it was fun writing the ventriloquist. I hadn't gotten to write him before, and it was really great having the um, Scarface going, uh, he held me over a tank of termites. Yeah. You hear me? Termites! It was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, we I don't know. There's Bringing levity to a moment like that is pretty fun, even if it is like a terrified Scarface. You want to have a lot of humor in the stories you know the more serious the story is the more you want humor in it and it's like one of the best episodes they did on batman beyond was an episode called out of the past it's where, one of my favorites where rachel ghoul comes back and it's a really dark episode it's a really really dark episode because it deals with mortality and it deals with the death of somebody who Bruce Wayne had really loved, and it was a really, really dark, somber episode. And so, and this is typical Paul Dini genius, it starts out with one of the funniest sequences they ever did in the series. Because you start out at this Broadway mm-hmm. show, this Andrew Lloyd Webber musical about a Batman. superstitious, cowardly lot. <laughs> they do the Batman musical. Yeah, the Batman musical. And it's hilarious. And you want to start off with something very funny so that you have something to balance the very, very serious against. Because if it was just moody and somber the whole way through, it wouldn't be fun and there'd be no variety to it. It's kind of like when you do a, you know, a really dark episode, you want to have something funny somewhere. And also, if you're doing a very, very funny episode, you want something really serious going on there as well. Yeah. Um, the City on the Edge of Forever episode of Star Trek um, it's one of the. It features one of the the, the darkest moments in the this, this series history. It's where Captain Kirk deals with his incredible heartache that, for fans, he will always carry with him 
Now, that wasn't a series where they hearkened back to things. It wasn't like, you know, every other episode they mentioned Edith Keeler. Although anybody who ever does these fan-based Star Trek movies, there's a rule that you have to mention Edith Keeler. It's just, it's an unwritten rule, but everybody has to go for it. And it's like, if you're doing um, a traditional Star Trek episode, they didn't harken back to the old episodes. But to circle back to it, um, you have this incredible heartbreak on Kirk's part. But the episode itself has lots and lots of humor in it. And I don't think that the darkness in the episode would have worked as well if you hadn't had all the levity between Kirk and Spock being these fish out of water in depression era new york there's a lot of jokes in there and you know there's romance in there too and it it it's nice because it leads up to this moment where kirk just gets crushed and at the end when he says let's get the hell out of here you really are seeing kirk in a place that you haven't seen him before and you never see him again i mean it's just it's just one moment that is so remarkably powerful I mean, it's, it's so cool to be able to, I don't know, learn from the things that you love and put it into your own writing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I mean, and that, this episode is incredibly dark. I mean, like half of what Lyle Bolton says is like, I, I you know, I, I feel like I say this a lot on the show, but it's like, I'm surprised they got away with half of this stuff. You're all scum. You should be beaten within an inch of your misbegotten lives. That's such an intense thing to say. <laughs> And it leads up to a line, which was the original title for the episode. My original title, at what least. What was it? Um, it was called Cage Without a Key. <laughs> you should all be locked away in a cage without a key! Right. Well, you figure Cage Without a Key is a wonderful title because it describes where he wants to lock people up. Mm-hmm. And it also is a nice description of what this guy's brain is like. I mean... He is trapped in a cage without a key. He's, he's, he's so darkly insane that in the end of the episode when he's locked up with everybody, he just sees it as they're locked up with him. You know? He, uh, you know, this is, now he can keep an eye on them forever. Oh, yeah. The fact that he justifies it in the end was like, okay, well, this guy is just as crazy, if not crazier than most of the other Arkham inmates. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was pretty perfect. That ending, by the way, um, well, the episode was directed by... Dan Reba. Yeah. And he's a wonderful, wonderful director to work with. Although I need to explain what that means. Um, When writers work with directors, they don't get to work with them. I mean, I would love to have sat in a room with him and said, hey, let's do this, this, and this. What happens is you write the script and it gets handed off to the director who hands it off to to, to board people. And it's, it's sort of like it's all separated. So I didn't get to actually work with Dan. So Dan is a great person to have your work having had been handed over to. <laughs> and that's grammatically uh, as, as, as ungrammatical as a thing you can ever hear. But, um, but the point is, when someone hands your script to somebody like him, it's a blessing. So Yeah, he did some of the series great He did some of the real high myth. points there. He did a lot of great stuff for Batman Beyond. He did a lot of great stuff for Superman. He's a great director. And when the episode was finished, there was a, the final scene in there had been directed, he went in and, and, and reboarded it. He liked the sequence so much that he said, oh, I know how I can plus this. I know how I can make it even better. What did he do to plus it? Do you remember? Um, I don't know because I didn't see the original version ah, of it. Yes. But I think he went out of his way to make sure that the final image would be that the shadow of the door, the way it, the shadow fell across him, the only thing on him that would be illuminated would be his eyes, yeah. the same way as it was when he was wearing his 
his armor, his costume. So, um, and you know, almost like a parallel. I mean, lockup is a parallel to Batman. <laughs> you know, like this is what happens when you go too far. Well, that's one of the things I'm most proud of in the episode is that I found ways to make this character as much like Batman as possible. What you want to do when you're writing a hero. To, to come up with villains, you want to come up with counterparts for them. You want to come up with shadow versions of who they are. And the more that a villain is like the hero, the stronger the stories tend to be. So uh, a great example of that is Two-Face. Two-Face is a bifurcated man the way that Batman and Bruce Wayne is a bifurcated man. And so the first issue of The Dark Knight Returns uh, is, to my way of thinking, the best Batman movie ever made. Um, the sound effects, the timing, everything is in there. And the thing that makes the story so powerful is that there's this whole investigation, there's this thing that happens with Two-Face where he wants to blow up half the city. And at the end, when Batman confronts him and grabs him, there's this moment where he looks into Two-Face's face and comes to understand who Two-Face is. Mm -hmm. And he realizes exactly how much alike they are because there's one frame where... well. Two-Face has been cured, so to speak. I think that if I'm remembering correctly, because it's been a while since I've read it, they do plastic surgery on him so his whole face is normal now. Well, at the end when Batman grabs him and looks into his eyes, you see Two-Face the way Two-Face sees himself. And now he's completely scarred. Yeah. This guy is so broken. And you realize on some level, Batman is a very broken character too. The more that you can have a villain parallel the hero, the stronger your stories are going to be. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's a wonderful piece in there when uh, Belloc and Indy are talking, and Belloc says, I'm a dark reflection of yourself. And you realize, yeah, they're, they're both archaeologists. They're both trying their damnedest to find these antiquities. <laughs> Belloc you know. is really, really, really ruthless and so is Indy. Mm -hmm. he, Belloc is just a little bit... It wouldn't take that much more to make Indy as ruthless as Belloc is. So you realize that they're very, very similar characters. And so when you're looking at... When Indy looks at, at Belloc, he's looking at a dark reflection of himself. He's looking at himself as if he fell into the abyss. So when you have Lockup saying, you know, we're the same way. You know, you apprehend them. I lock them up. Well... The thing with Batman, the way that, the reason people criticize the character when they criticize him, and the way that he is in the comics oftentimes, is that he's a very brutal character. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they make him, you know, he's as ruthless as the world needs him to be. And they have him breaking people's arms and stuff, and, and you know, holding, holding people off buildings to get information. I mean, they really, they really make him a ruthless, horrible character oftentimes, mm -hmm. and needlessly so. But... In the animated series, you know, we held back from that. Obviously, I mean, you can't have a character who's completely bloodthirsty and breaking people's arms on kids' TV. But we found a really, really good balance on that show um, between making him darkly determined. But for the character to be as darkly determined and as focused as possible, you can see where if you went over the edge, he would quickly become exactly like Lockup is. Somebody who is unforgiving, somebody who is absolutely vicious and brutal, somebody who is saying, this is a horrible city and I can fix it with my hands. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, what is it? I mean, lockup was saying the city's an open wound that needs to be stitched. <laughs> it was just, and you know where that comes from? No, where? The thing with the character is he's based very much on Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver. <laughs> that uh, it makes a lot of sense now. I mean, even the, the voice, the everything. Well, there's a scene early on where he's watching television and he yeah. pushes the TV over. Yeah. And that comes exactly from Taxi Driver. They're like sensationalizing Poison Ivy in this version of it. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but, but I based him on Travis. And... He even complains about the, like, the liberal media yeah yeah that uh that was very much you know the point of view of the character the permissive liberal media the permissive that's what it was. yeah that was a marty line actually <laughs> i was i thought that was a it was a lovely touch yeah. but that was and i was surprised they let us get away with you know Me liberal too. media it's, i don't know if they would let us have that line today because it, it's so politically charged out there now that people would see it as you know inflammatory yeah back then we got away with it i'm really glad we did it was a really fun line to to, to have in there um but we, um, I, I based him on Travis Bickle, the Robert De Niro character, and they got Bruce Weitz to do the voice. And I was so grateful they got him because I was a huge Hill Street Blues fan. And he played a character named Belker. He was this really hard bitten detective. And he was just all, you know, he's like, he's, he's more dog than man. <laughs> they always had him on stakeouts and he'd be like all gritty. And he was just, a, he was a great actor. And having him playing this character was terrific. He delivers every line with gravel and with, you know, dark determination. And he's just really spooky. They hired him to do the, um, they, they, they cast him as Mannheim, the gangster in mm-hmm. the Superman series. Right, which and who's in your fun and games who's episode. In fun and games. So I got to I got to work with him twice, which was really really fantastic. I didn't even realize um, I didn't put that together. He does such a great Mannheim sounds a little different. He's got a little bit more of a <laughs> oh yeah absolutely. He's got he's got more of the sort of a, a street sort of yeah yeah. <laughs> I'm trying not to say goomba, but he's got sort of a goomba thing going on, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's 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 really fun. Um, you know, I say I got to work with him twice. It's I wasn't there for the voice record, so we didn't actually literally get to work with him. I've gotten to work with a lot of actors over time. I've gotten to you know be in recording sessions, and it's always great working with them. Um, having somebody cast that you really, really love delivering the dialogue for you, like when you get the record tapes afterwards, yeah, is uh, it's it's always amazing. So I wish I'd been there when they were recording, and I wish I could have met him and kind of you know like been there for the record, but. He did such a spectacular job, and I'm like really, really, really grateful that they got him. The great thing about working on a show like Batman was that they would bring in the most incredible talent and the most incredible variety of uh, name talent, which was really fun to listen to. You know, celebrity voices doing a lot of the the, the voices that you hear. You know, people like uh, John Glover and stuff. Oh yeah. But I also want to be. I also want to be careful to point out that um, that having you know name actors isn't necessarily you know uh, um, um, a goal that I have because just because somebody's a name doesn't mean that they're you know necessarily graded voice talent. There are people out there who just ply their trade doing voice over work, and these people are geniuses. They're absolutely magnificent at what they do you have people like mo lamarche you have people like rob paulson you have people like um um 
Billy West. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just no end of people out there who are, you know, Tom Kenny, of course. Um, and they're not quote-unquote names. You know what I mean? Which it, is crazy. <laughs> which is, well, but, but aside from that, so when people, oftentimes people say, oh, well, we're, we're going to go with names. It's like, like you just slap in the face. So I want to be careful to make sure that I'm not, you know, saying, you know, oh, I'm, I'm really glad we got real actors because that's not the way it is. But it's great to have actors that you know and you respect um, whose work you've admired that you finally get to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, when you get to work with people like Mola Marsh, when you get to work with people like Tom Kenny, it's like a master class in voiceover. And these guys are incredible actors. And they're also <laughs> the greatest guys. They're really wonderful people to hang out with and stuff. So, so yeah. Um, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I wish, I mean, they, I mean, those guys in this show, it's very strange, uh, are, are only showing up in bit parts. I think, you know, but, you know, Rob Paulson shows up as a guy and I've got Batman in my basement and that's it. Uh, it, it was just one of those things where I'm like, these guys are so versatile and great. Why aren't they being used? And I feel like, you know, part of it was maybe that they, they were going for a specific sound. Uh, and, and maybe, and even though, like, those guys could deliver that sound, it was almost like in the producers' heads to pick the people that felt like natural screen actors and bring them into this world. Um, I can't really speak to how those kinds of decisions were being made. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I wasn't privy to any of that. Um, I just know that Andrea Romano is an incredible director and that whoever she's working with, I mean, she gets incredible performances out of them. Yeah. So, um, you know, the series across the board, I mean, it's just great. Just, just great stuff all across the board. Was so. there anything else from the episode that got changed or that you had in the original script that didn't make it to the final episode? Um, I think it's pretty much, you know, it, it was pretty much what we had in mind. I can't think of any major sequences that got cut. Um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, it, was, it was very much what we were going for. That's um, awesome. I mean, yeah. that doesn't always happen. So it's cool to see that, like, from script to screen, it was pretty much exactly what you wanted it to be. Yeah, it was, as I say, it was great working with a, a brand new character. It was great being able to give a voice to someone who hadn't been there before. Well, I think that must be so difficult in some ways because you have to introduce this character quickly because, you know, like the fact that it starts, you dive right into it. But, the, you know, the audience has to understand him and then see him transform. And you're juggling so many other characters in this one. You have like the bureaucrats and cops and everything. I mean, Bullock's in there. And you have the side villains. And you have Batman and Robin. And you have this new villain. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's pretty effortlessly done. I think you'd be surprised at just how much story you can tell in 22 minutes. <laughs> you know? Um, it, it gets eaten up awful quickly. But you can really tell... An incredible amount of story in 22 minutes. Um, there was one sequence I want to point to, though, because I think it's really it's, it's quite great. Yeah. Um, when you outline an episode, what you want to do is you want to just have everything in there. You want to 
it isn't it isn't just a simple thing like you know well first they go here then they go here you have to describe you know exactly what's happening in every sequence so it isn't this you know they drop off a villain at arkham asylum i mean you really you know say you know they they bring this scarecrow there and you know uh you know this is this is what he says this is what batman says and then you you know you, you introduce the, the villain I mean, you really, you really choreograph the scene almost as if it's in script format if you're doing a very, very detailed outline. And back then, we were doing very detailed outlines. Um, so we were, you know, we had outlined how we bring the Scarecrow back. We outlined very, very, you know, specifically what happens in the inquest. We were very, very specific about, you know, the sequences where... Bruce Wayne is in the restaurant. And then when it came time for a lot of the other stuff to fall into place, um, writing the outline, I got a lot less specific. <laughs> so whereas ideally you're very specific about everything, I tend to sometimes get a little bit looser and say, okay, I'll figure that out when it comes time to write the script. Yeah. Um, and one of the sequences was um, where, well, at one point the mayor gets grabbed. So what I write in the outline is, you know, the mayor gets grabbed. Now, Marty really likes a completely fleshed out outline. Given his druthers, this is, you know, back then, we haven't worked together in a while, so I'm not sure how he does it today. I imagine it's very similar. He just, he, if given his druthers, he will write a 20-page outline. Everything will be there so that all you have to do is change the margins, basically, to get to a script. So I'm sure that when he got to that line and it says, you know, the mayor gets grabbed, I'm sure he was like, oh, my God, come on. This <laughs> so instead of just uh, um, being more, I mean, he wrote out the scene where Bullock and the cops are there talking to the mayor and the mm-hmm. mayor saying, you know, I can't hide during an election season. And and, uh, and and Batman and Robin come out saying, well, if, if, if we could sneak in, so can lock up. And then the log explodes and there's this whole cloud and everything marty came up with all that you know i think it's a wonderful sequence and i just want to you know hats off to him because um that's a scene that i thought was terrific it played really really beautifully and i just wanted to give credit where credit is due because when i wrote it it was just like i mean i would have come up with something um but i wouldn't have come up with that and it plays so beautifully. Every time I look at the scene, I'm like, this is a beautiful scene. This is really, really beautiful. So Yeah, it plays out really well. Really I effectively. I wanted to give credit where credit is due for that particular scene. Um, I don't know. I also want to talk about like the knockdown, drag-out fight in the ship at the yeah, end. Yeah, let's. I mean, that's like you know a ticking time bomb, but instead people are going to drown, potentially. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I loved the way that that got boarded. I love the way that that got executed. I think it's a, it's, it's a brilliantly rendered scene, and I just I just love watching it. I just love... It's apocalyptic, you know? You're watching the entire world being destroyed around you. Well, it's kind of Batman fighting a version of Batman. In a yeah. Way, you know, so it's... I don't know. I, I think it's such a relatable thing to, you know, Batman's... You know, like, we're all, like, the people you don't like the most a lot of the time are the people you're like, oh, God... That's like the worst thing that I think I do. <laughs> so like having Batman actually have to physically confront that in this sort of apocalyptic setting is like <laughs> the most heightened version of that. Well, that was something that was in the script that got cut out where the two of them are fighting and Lockup looks at Batman and says, 
You know, you think I don't know your secret? You think I don't know the relationship between you and Bruce Wayne? He's funding you. I know he's funding you the same way he was funding me to keep them locked up. He's funding you to catch them. And uh, that got cut. But I just, I love the idea that this guy was so twisted that he could actually figure out what Bruce Wayne was doing, but not make that vital connection with yeah. the same guy. Yeah. But, you know, it makes sense. It's like, you know, yeah, Bruce Wayne, uh, he hired me to do this. Of course he would hire somebody and give them everything they needed to lock up all these people. Yeah. And also, I mean, technically that is what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce Wayne is funding Batman. Yeah. But, um, but that line got cut. And ah. uh, I think I think that was kind of wise because it would have led up to, I think, a second episode where Lockup figures it out and goes after Bruce Wayne or something. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, you might not, this is putting you on the spot, but uh, if you... If you were like handed a script or handed, you know, like the opportunity to write another lockup episode, where could you see this character going? Where would you take him? Um, I would have to think about that. Yeah. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I feel like we tapped out the character in this episode. It's like everything he needed to say, everything he needed to show you who he was and what made him tick, it's all in the episode. Sure. Ideally, when you write an episode of a show, you want to say everything you have to say about that character. And so there's nothing left to say about him. And that's why when you see a really great film or watch an episode of a show featuring a particular character, when it's over, it's like, there's nothing left to be said about this. Mm-hmm. My God, that's, you know, that's... And, and so, therefore, it's up to the writer to come up with something next time where it's like, okay, what didn't we do with this character? Or, what, you know, what's this new twist that we can do with the character? Yeah. But I feel like on Lockup, we completely tapped out what it was. So, if we had to do another episode, sure, we can come up with something great. Maybe, maybe he does go after, you know, Bruce Wayne. Right. Um, but uh, um, I, didn't, I didn't write this toward, you know, what can we do with the character next? Mm-hmm. I wrote this more in the lines of, you know... How do we have it when this character, when this, how do we have it such that when this episode is over, there's nothing left to know about this character? I mean, it feels like you fully satisfy that, too. Uh, He has an arc, and he really, like, that ending is brutal and dark, but it feels like it's, it kind of wraps things up in a nice locked up bow. I think if there was something I would do, is I would go into his past and sort of figure out, you know, well, you know, where did this guy come from? Yeah. That's one of the things that Paul Dini always did that was brilliant was he would give villains origins that really got into their psyche. So when you saw a character like the Clock King and you saw characters like Harley Quinn, although they didn't really give her origin story in the show, you really, you really see what makes these characters tick. Yeah. As, as, as much as they tick badly <laughs> as off as they are um he was really great at the psychology of, of, of that's what makes this series really stand out is the level of psychology that goes into these characters uh, you get a sense that they're real people it isn't they're not gimmick villains you know it isn't like you know ordinarily like the way somebody would have approached the series before this would be you know, well, there's a rare bird coming into town. So, okay, I guess the penguin's going to go after it. Or there's this rare, you know, diamond that looks like the eye of a cat. Well, I wonder what's going to happen now. Right, it was informational, not behavioral. Right. So, um, you have these stories where the Joker and the Riddler and, you know, Catwoman or Poison Ivy, they're, at, they're, they're behaving from a place that comes from deep in their psyche. There's a real logic 
on a personal level on who they are and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it makes a difference between, you know, that and a much more flyaway kind of cartoon. So when they were doing Batman beforehand, it was very gimmicky kinds of, you know, show. And I got very lucky. I fell into animation exactly when they started doing the shows that I liked the right way. So they did Batman in the style of the best comics that had ever been done before. And the reason the series is so great is because it's the best distillation possible of what Batman had been up until that point. Yeah. So they took all the stuff from Frank Miller. They took all the stuff that Denny O'Neill was doing. They took all the stuff that Steve Englehart and Len Wein were doing. They took all this really, really great writing that had been done and the great storytelling and the great art styles from people like Denny O'Neill. I'm sorry, um, uh, Neil Adams and uh, Frank Miller. And they really distilled it into the best possible version of Batman. And I think the reason that Batman the Animated Series just still stands up to this day as the high point. People always point to that as the best animated series that was done. Sure. Um, is because it's the best distillation of Batman that was ever, ever done. Um, and I just want to say at this point, I'm really, really proud to have gotten to do three episodes of it. They did like a hundred of them. And I can't take credit and, and be like, you know, our Batman series. Because it was like, they, great, they gave a great party. I got to go there for a little bit. Hmm. And I'm really grateful, really grateful for the opportunity to have been able to do some of that. But, um, you know, I don't see it as being my show. I, I see it as being a great show that I got to contribute to. But, um, yeah, but not everybody could contribute to it as well. I mean, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you credit where credit's due, at least for writing really great episodes. Uh, you know. Obviously, it's a great show, but they brought you guys on for a reason. Well, that's nice to say. That's very nice to say. I, I like the work that we did on it. Yeah, I do too. I really do. <laughs> As but, a fan. Um, but for me, when I think of the show, um, I go right to people like Paul Dini. I go to um, Michael Reeves. I go to Marty Pasco, And, of course, I go to uh, Alan Burnett mm -hmm. because, you know, they were the guys who were behind the stories they were the guys who really, really gave the series the oomph and the psychology and just, just all the great storytelling. And I'm not leaving people like Bruce Tim out, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I think people know that Bruce Tim did a lot for this I series. I think they kind of get that. Maybe. The fact that they call it the Timiverse uh, is, is pretty, pretty clear. <laughs> okay. Um, and I totally understand that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but from a writer's perspective, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, these guys and saying, you know, you you gave us a really, really great playground to play in. And I was glad to have gotten to play in the sandbox for a little bit. They truly shaped it. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, really great stuff. One of the things I wanted to do in the series, by the way, I mean, for this episode, was yeah. um, I wanted to call the character Deadbolt. Huh. And I wanted to have the character's name be Jason Bolton. And the reason his name is Bolton, it's like, there was a character named Jason Bolt. On a show called Here Come the Brides when I was a kid. I just always liked that name. Um, and I thought Deadlock would be a really cool name for a villain. Yeah. But, uh, but it was Paul Dini's character. He wanted to call him Lockup. And uh, so, and it, like, if I had my druthers, it would have been it would have been Cage Without a Key. Where, you know, we introduced the character Deadbolt. I mean, Deadbolt is a more menacing name, I'll be honest. Yeah. But, um, but <laughs> Lockup, Lockup is, a, is a great name. And, oh, yeah. You know, Paul loved it. It was his character. And it's his character, so... Fine, it's <laughs> already your way, absolutely. 
But but they were really happy with how we delivered it. They were really happy with how dark we made the character. Um, I was personally pleased that I could write all the stuff that made him sound like a very dark parallel to Batman himself. Um, I love the inquest scene. I love the moment where I was really glad I came up with this for a way for Batman to be smart in a way Bruce Wayne would be. So when you had all the villains, uh, you know, saying, oh, I'm not going to say anything. You have, you know, Bruce Wayne go, he gets that smile. (laughs) He gets that smile on his face and he's like, well, I guess we'll just extend his contract for 18 more months and and makes everybody else flip out. Yeah. And that was, that was, you know, Bruce Wayne being smart. Bruce Wayne, the manipulator. And then um, when lockup when Bolton is is running after the villains who's running toward them I have him I have Bruce Wayne tip over the chair and trip him up I just I wanted to find ways to make Bruce smart so instead of you know it's being you know Batman's athleticism or whatever it's it's you really wanted to get into some moments that just show you that that Bruce Wayne you know is thinking and then he has a wry sense of humor as well yeah there's there's I think he puts his hands behind his back or something when he goes to kick over the chair it's just it's a very kind of innocent sort of a kind of moment where just oh oops did I do that so um I just I I loved having that moment yeah it's all great yeah also there's a there's a bit in it where they're asking everybody, you know, don't you have anything to say? And Harley is like, I don't have anything to say. And he's like, are you sure? Nothing? And she's like, we got a hearing problem or something? Zero. Zip. Nothing. Zilch. Nothing. It must Just- have been so fun to write a Harley line. <laughs> well, that line actually came from the Joker. Uh, when we were getting together to talk about this episode, um, the four of us, it was me and Marty and Alan and Paul, we were all, we, we all went out to get dinner. And while we were driving over there, Paul popped in a tape from a recording session that had been done the day or two before with a Joker episode. And in it, the Joker, there, all of these criminals are bidding for an atom bomb. And everyone's like, you know, eh, $100,000, I'll give you $2 million, I'll give you $10 million. It's a Harlequinade, I think, was the episode. I think it was. Yeah. But the Joker comes into the middle of this auction and goes, I'll tell you what I'll bid. Zero, nothing, zilch, bupkis. One of my favorite, I didn't even put that together. He's like, how about nothing? And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah, um, that's where I got that line from. I got it from the Joker, I got it from Deanie, and I got it from an episode that hadn't been made yet. <laughs> so, um... Well, it's kind of nice. It's a reflection of, like, Harley is sometimes just spouting what she hears from the Joker, like a parent who is foisting their, like, political purviews on people. That's true. Uh, In a weird psychological way, it sort of works out. (laughs) Well, it's also nice because then I got to go, yeah, I, uh... I wrote Harley, and it sounded just like if Paul had written her. <laughs> because he kind of did. Because a little. he kind of did a little bit, yeah. But uh, but that was you know I, I got to I got to write Harley. I got to write her, you know, funny. I got to write the Triloquist and Scarface. I got to make them funny. I got to make uh, the Scarecrow really sinister at the end, where he's like, "Now you'll learn lessons in fear." Yeah. And on top of that, you got to write The Riddler and The Toy Man, and... <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, so many. I loved writing The Toy Man because they wanted that episode to come in really creepy. Oh, I love it. And we delivered an episode that was really creepy. That was a lot of fun. Um, I want to circle back for a second on, um, well, 
we we did the episode uh, his silicon soul yes and i just wanted to touch on um, uh, where the title down on from that came from yeah there was a twilight zone episode called her pilgrim soul alan brennert had written the episode i think it was nominated for a writer's guild award and it was this really great, moving, touching story. It's one of these science fiction stories that really touches on our humanity, you know? It was a lovely, lovely piece. And I always really liked the title, you know? It was a very kind of spooky, sort of evocative title. And so when we did the robot episode, I'm like, why don't we do, you know, His Silicon Soul? So it was, it was a riff on a Twilight Zone title is where that came from. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, well, thank you so much for coming in to talk about all of this again. I love the show. I love Batman, and I really loved writing this episode in particular. So, um, so thanks for inviting me in to talk about it. Thanks for listening, guys. If you like the show, I've got a donation page set up on btafpodcast.com. Just go to the About page. There's a whole donate section. I've also got a pinned tweet at BTAS Podcast on Twitter surveying what kind of merch you might be interested in. So check that out if you think you'd buy something. And once again, if you like the show, please rate, subscribe, and leave a nice comment on iTunes as well as spread the word. Man, I've got some great guests coming up. I think you're going to love them, including another episode with Harley Quinn creator Paul Dini, uh, Batman writer and Bubba Hotep writer Joe Lansdale. He's an awesome horror guy as well as Batman himself, Mr. Kevin Conroy. So, keep listening. There are even more than that, but I don't want to spoil everything. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast. Thanks to my guests Echo Kellum and Robert N. Skier, as well as Marissa Strickland and Echo for doing double duty in the acting department, and voice of the Scarecrow and the reanimator himself, Jeffrey Combs, in the Arkham Singles commercial. Lastly, a special thanks to This American Life producer, Tori Malatia, who actually opened the door to trick-or-treaters and screamed, We're all stuck! You should be beaten within an inch of your misbegotten lives! Hey, Tori, calm down a little bit. They're just kids, okay? I'll see you guys in a couple weeks for another Batman the Animated Podcast.